0: Culture Map presents. What's Eric eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas. Here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome
1: to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things in the world of Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Lauren Bailey and Brent Kurlachek from Postino coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week, making their triumphant return as a duo after a long absence, Shanna Jones and Felice Sloan from Urban Swank. Ladies, welcome back.
2: Hey, 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 Hello. hey. Hello. I know you guys have missed me, but I am back. Woohoo! <laughs> the Urban is back. <laughs> I have...
1: I have missed you both.
2: Thank you, We've missed you too, Eric. Thank you, y'all. I love y'all. All
1: All right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Uh, Certainly no bigger news than the Culture Map Tastemaker Awards held April 4th at Silver Street Studios. We had a sold out crowd of almost a thousand people to partake of food served by over 20 Houston restaurants, drink a whole bunch of cocktails made with Woodford Reserve, which is good because they were our event sponsor. Bun B. emceed the awards, which means I got to share a stage with him, which is maybe one of the coolest things I've gotten to do in this job. And we gave out a whole bunch of awards to Sochi for Restaurant of the Year, to Chris Shepard for Chef of the Year, to Jason Vaughn from Nancy's Hustle for Rising Star Chef of the Year, to Better Luck Tomorrow for Bar of the Year, to Alex Negronza for Bartender of the Year to Abuzi for Wine Program of the Year, to Pauly's for Neighborhood Restaurant of the Year, to Joe Bartolome of Aki for Pastry Chef of the Year, to Field and Tides for Best New Restaurant. I think that's everything. I don't have them right in front of me.
3: I'm impressed that you did that off the top of the dome like that. Wow.
1: Well, when you have to write the article that lists out all the winners— Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just slided. To check I was going to Eure- look to see if you I missed Eureka Heights, our brand oh, new brewery. brewery of the year.
3: Uh, the poke the poke. Oh yeah,
1: Kaya, so- Poke Restaurant of the Year.
3: But you did pretty good off the top of the dome. I'm it's not bad of the off the top. Of the top of the <laughs> I'll Give you an A
1: minus. Um, ladies, I'm I'm just going to throw it to you. How do you think our judges panel did picking the winners in these categories to reflect the last twelve months of Houston dining?
2: Uh, slam dunks. Every single one of them were almost like, uh, yeah, no brainers. Like I like the diversity of it. I like that we had people that weren't winning every category. So I thought it was a good representation of really all the great spots that we personally enjoyed as well.
3: I agree. I was, su- but I was surprised. I thought Nancy's hustle was going to win everything that they were nominated for. So back to what Shanna said, it was very diverse. So, um, you know, like the winners, and I was very happy with the list. However, I did think Nancy's hustle was just going to take every category that they were in.
1: Yeah, I, when the votes came in and I started looking over how the judges had voted, it felt good to see that we had spread things around because, you know, last year, Agricole Hospitality took... Restaurant of the Year, Chef of the Year, and Bar of the Year, which is fine, right? Right, Like, Cultivari yeah. is outstanding, Aero yeah. Flynn is great, Ryan Perr is super talented. But, you know, it's also, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things, and it's mm-hmm. nice to sort of spread the love around right. a little bit. That's right. right. I will say, personally, I was happiest that Pauly's finally won for Neighborhood Restaurant yes. of the Year. So that's one of
3: your favorites? I know you were very Be- happy.
1: Because they have been nominated in that category every year. <laughs> it is one of the very few places that, I it's the closest I come to being a regular anywhere like obviously mm-hmm. I'm I'm moving around all the time and, yeah. and trying new stuff so I don't really get to do that uh and also when we started this five years ago and I I proposed the neighborhood restaurant of the year category it was to recognize restaurants like Polly's. so for me personally Uh, That was a good one. And then I was super excited for Field and Tides. And I know you guys feel the same way about that restaurant that I do. And I don't always feel like, like, I think it gets, it's gotten some, a lot of love here on Culture Map, and it's gotten a lot of love on Urban Swank. And I don't know that maybe other publications are as enthusiastic about it as we are. So feel yeah, like it's very underrated. Yeah,
3: right. it's a it's it's very definitely underrated. a neighbor. And I tell people all the time it's a neighborhood gym. Um, just if you look at the menu, awesome stuff. But then the specials, right? Like mm-hmm. the specials that they do daily. They knock it out of the park. Right. They knock it out of the park. So I'm glad to see. See, I thought Nancy's was going to win that. So to see Field and Tides win it, I was like, you were just as happy. Right. I mean, the I was, cocktail right. program is killer. Right. You know, yeah.
2: It's it's great. It's a great. And like spot. you said,
3: for Polly's, you know, the, they're the Susan Lucci of the tastemakers, <laughs> and glad to see that they finally got it.
2: We still need to go do that uh, Asabuco night. I think I'm missing out. If they oh, still yeah, have it, Thursday. I'm still missing. Thursday, yeah. I still haven't done it. We need to get that done every
1: Thursday at Polly's.
2: Let's we can, do. We it. can do that. Let's do it, please. Not
1: this Thursday. But <laughs> okay. <but> soon. <laughs> um. All right. Well, and and you had a good time at the party. I should I should just follow.
3: We did have a good time drinking. I could have had a lot more food, but you know y'all sold out. We've talked about that too.
1: Yeah, I let me let me just say and and I've heard this from a couple of people. Mm-hmm. We sold a lot more tickets than we ever have before. I don't know that the restaurants were fully prepared for the number of people that showed up. And so the food went Maybe a little bit faster than we would have liked. I think it was mostly gone by seven
2: thirty. And then people were going, probably going back multiple times because when you get something, you get a hold of something that's good. You might stand in line a couple of times, so I'm sure you have to account for that too, which they probably do. But that would probably be our only, I guess, comment for this year because and then the booze. So you know, yeah, course, yeah. We,
3: you know, people are like, oh, we address the things that we, we keep it real. So right. that was that the elephant that was in the, thing. the room, right? But uh, like I said. To your point, you sold more tickets. Um, people went black multiple times, so I know that'll be an adjustment that y'all make for the next year. Can yeah. we do
2: a Can we do a quick high five to that old fashioned though? Oh, oh, that oh. old
3: fashioned. The drinks mm. were off the chain.
1: Who made the old fashioned? It was.
2: It was available at the regular bars, the regular oh, okay. Woodford Reserve bars. Um, it wasn't at any of the um, the, the prior teams, taste. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. taste make uh, winners, but yeah, fantastic,
3: fantastic. Yeah, the the cocktails they you know they knocked it out of the park. So,
2: and people have fun. I mean, you guys probably can't tell, but our voices are super hoarse, and we owe fifty percent of that to tastemaker. <laughs> tastemaker. Right? Okay.
1: And it's five days, after. <laughs>
2: and it's five days <laughs> five later, and five days later, that's all we're saying. Music was jumping. Everybody was having a great time. So you know, hey. And,
1: and bun was great. And bun was great. Everyone he was loves there early. To see him. He was taking pictures with everybody. He hung out. He had a good time. On stage, every I I mean people just love that guy. Yeah. Well, going
2: be to rap lesson. He's
3: Bum B, right? <laughs> like so you know that he's who he is and then throw back, Oh my god, he loves food he loves too. Food. Like he's not just a celebrity up there emceeing it, right? He actually goes to these restaurants that all of us go to. You see him in there all the time. He's a big food guy. He really and supports our community. Yeah, yeah. So it's awesome.
2: Yeah, fantastic.
1: All right, well let's move on. Ben McPherson, our old friend, who's been at, uh, well, when I met him, he was at Batanga. Mm -hmm. He went from Batanga to Prohibition. He went from Prohibition to Crisp Bird and Batter. And now he has his next project. BOH or Bow Pasta will be one of the five stands at the Bravery Chef Hall, a new food hall coming to the RS Market Square Luxury Tower. It's going to be pizza. Pasta, vegetable sides, wood roasted entrees—it all sounds pretty good. I think. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 legitimately excited. I've been a fan of Ben's cooking. Yeah, he's awesome. At both yeah. Batanga and Prohibition. So let me just—what uh, do you think about what do you think about Bo Pasta and what do you think about Bravery Chef Hall? Now that you know that it's going to have a steakhouse from Felix Flores, mm-hmm. a Vietnamese restaurant from Master Chef winner Christine Hawk mm-hmm. called Blind Goat. And a Peruvian concept from Andy's Cafe owner, David Guerrero.
3: Let me just say something about Ben. Like this concept, I recently saw Ben um, at the rodeo. and We were talking about it. And he's super excited. And he said this is, he's so excited because this kind of really reflects, he's going to put his spin on all the things that he loves into this. So I'm like, that just is even more exciting. It's not like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this concept. Someone Mm -hmm. came to me and. I'm just gonna try to make it work. So right. to hear that he's gonna get to put his bin in it, put his stake on it, right? To say, you know, that's what you know. This it's
2: kind of that passion project that you always have, probably as a chef, right? When you when you have the opportunity to create something that's yours, right, and not someone else's idea or something you have with someone else. It's almost like he's really excited. And from what I read, Eric, he's doing some traveling to get himself even more ready.
1: Yeah, serve up some good pasta. Yeah, he's got a he's got a pop up this week that will happen the day before this podcast debuts, and then uh, shortly after that, he's off to Italy for like a month. And he's been going to Italy since he was a child. He Mm -hmm. went. He went as a child. He went when he was in college. He's been several times since. So yeah, I think passion project is the accurate description for this. He's been kind of waiting to open this restaurant. It seems like for a really long time.
3: Okay, and then ben. to answer your question. So to put Ben yeah. and line it up with all the places that you name and all the heavy hitters, that is going to be the place to be. Doesn't you know, it seem for like... For food people, yeah. that is going to be. And then, because you have so many people at the height of their game, every right. you everyone's going to have to keep it up because they they want people to come to their restaurant. Everybody's going to have to be on their A game. That's it's what not going to be just yeah, good.
2: I agree. They're going to have to be... Great, And I was thinking, how how curated is this is this hall? I mean, it just seems like it's been prime-picked for some of the best in the industry, and they're all covering various culinary areas for us to get a really holistic representation of what food in Houston is.
1: Well, and we've, you know, I, I feel like food halls come up on the show pretty regularly since we're, we're sort of inching towards more and more of them opening here. And one of the things we keep talking about is you know, who's, who's, who's behind the, the stands, right. Or who's opening at the stands at these various concepts. And I think, you know, the, cause that's really the draw, right. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't just want a burger, right. right. I want a burger made by somebody I know. And so that bravery now, you know, I don't just want a steak. I want steak from the mind of Felix Flores. I want mm. pasta from the mind of Ben McPherson, I'm really excited about Vietnamese food from Christine Ha because yes. yeah. she's never owned a restaurant before. She's just been right. this sort of media phenomenon. So that lineup is a draw, and there's still a fifth spot that they haven't fully locked in yet, or at least they haven't announced it.
2: I was going to say, do you have any, like, you who know... Who would you like to see, or what who type of would you of like to see, or do you have any news you that you can there? share?
1: So I saw Shepard Ross, who's one of the partners in the project at Tastemakers and I was like so you know what, what's going on like what's next he's like we're really close we should have something to you soon I still think they need like a seafoody kind of thing I know that's going to be part it's of gonna, yeah I know I know ceviche is going to be part of David's concept but like a like a cooked seafood right. or, or I mean I still want like a, a sushi counter although that probably is is too directly in conflict with the the Peruvian, Peruvian concept.
3: Yeah. I'm with you on seafood. We don't, I always say this, people are get sick of me saying it, we need more good <laughs> seafood places in Houston. People right. think that we have a ton of them. In my opinion, we don't.
0: And those, I'm, like, those I'm fresh talking seafood. more than good. I mean, yeah. like
3: that next level, great seafood places. We should have a couple of great seafood places, and we don't.
2: Not like... Creole based, right? Just pure, fresh, grilled, prepared seafood,
1: right? Uh, and and you know we had a couple that closed last year, and we're still waiting for Reef to reopen. So, so you know we're kind of we're kind of in a in a time where, you know, starfish probably starfish. that's as close as The best, we're right. In the best. The city right now, right.
3: it yeah. is. Although, I
1: down. will say, I've had good meals at Willie G's.
3: Oh, the new Willie G's? I, yeah, I was you just told so me how beautiful it that. was. It's beautiful, and the food was good. It was really good. Like, they've yeah, kind of stepped it up again. Okay. And I think
1: part of that is that Brandon Severall is in the kitchen. He worked at Trinity. He worked at Salt Air. So, mm. it's a good pedigree. Okay. Now he's working for Landry's, and there's a really talented uh, front-of-house staff there, too.
2: Yeah. Very cool. All right, Bravery. Bring it on.
1: All right. And then... I don't want to linger on this too much, but uh, speaking of putting your stank on things, <laughs> Ben Berg, the owner of b Butchers, has begun to make some changes at Carmelo's, the restaurant in the Memorial area that he purchased at the end of December. It has a new name. Car- it's, uh, it used to be Carmelo's Restaurante, and now it's Carmelo's Cucina Italiana. And his brother, Daniel, has taken over the menu Upgraded some things. They're making their own pastas now. Uh, ladies, I'm gonna need your help with this because I have never been to Carmelo's. Mm. I know that it is a West Side institution. Mm-hmm. It's been around for 37 years. a long time. Yep. Is this what Carmelo's needed? I mean, I understand why Ben Berg would want to do this, right? It, you know, up the, you know, diversify the menu, up the PPA, make people spend a little more money every time they go there, maybe make a little, you know, earn back the investment that he made by purchasing the business, but is this what people in Memorial, like, are going to want?
3: I think changing the name, honestly, was a mistake. That's, for me, I'm like, Mm -hmm. why mess with the name? Now, changing and upgrading the menu, I need to go and see what the upgrades and changes are. Because sometimes you don't need to just go all the way out the box. So I will... Save my opinion on that. Sometimes things need a refresher and upgrade. So I welcome that. But when you change the name and then you're upgrading the menu, I feel like you're changing the restaurant. So you think it's
2: too much change all at one time. You think maybe introduce the food and then say, okay, well, now we have this new. So you think the name is giving it or meaning like it's a new concept or you just feel like.
3: I just think it's an institute. We always talk about institutions Mm -hmm. here and it's been around forever. I mean, like, again, he bought it for a reason, right? Like, he bought it. The man needed some help. I mean, it's been around forever. It is in Memorial. One of the things that we see with neighborhood restaurants like that, like in a Memorial OSU, people, that's that's comfort for them. They go, and then their kids are going to go because they grew up going. They're going to take their kids there. So I think changing the name, for me, I, I don't think they needed to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. it's still gonna, people are just gonna call it Carmelo's, whether it's right. Carmelo's Restaurante <laughs> right. or Carmelo's Cucina Italiana. Right. That's why he
3: didn't change it too
1: much. Right, right.
3: Yeah, he didn't. He,
2: he still kept the name. And as he said, as long as right, He, wasn't, was, he wasn't would allow pricey. him.
3: Right, he didn't he call
1: Benny's it Benny's. Yeah, right. Yeah. right, he
3: didn't lose his mind. People were like, are you serious? Right.
2: You never know. Like you said, refreshes are always needed. I think, you know, adding his spin to it, he's been successful at B&B Butchers. I think that maybe adding something new will give it that spark that's needed to kind of get
1: it going again. You never know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I've never eaten there. Uh, i've been kind of waiting for this announcement the the new menus were in place and so you know now it's time to like pick a day and well let's go drive out out.
2: because that's i that's that's our hood like we are in that area i'm a a west end girl and i'm 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 a a working west end girl so let's do it
1: (laughs) all right and then finally it was a busy weekend for food events especially on sunday There was the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Big Taste event. There was the I'll Have What She's Having gala fundraiser. And there was Tacos Over Texas, a first-year event hosted by on the original on Navigation, organized by uh, Phyllis Mandola, who is the daughter of Ninfa Lorenzo. The event raised money for a new scholarship fund that is set up in Ninfa's name. Uh, all three of us were there, ladies. You said you wanted to talk about tacos over Texas, so tell me what you thought of this.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, put it
2: all on the first
1: year us. <laughs> event.
3: They knocked it out of the park for the first yeah. year. I mean, they had some of the the big the big names. Um, you know, they had Gatlin's Barbecue there. Cafe Annie's was there, mm-hmm. you know, all the family namesakes. Why, right? if people don't know how the families are related, that's a whole other story. But everyone that's a part of the Nifa's Mandola family, right. all those restaurants were represented. And a lot of, you know, new new players. And I just thought just the way it was executed for the first year, they don't really have a lot of tweaks to do. I'm looking forward to that event
1: years to come. Right. Get a bunch of people together. Yeah serve up a whole bunch of tacos <laughs> is a pretty good recipe for a good time.
2: Oh, and don't and have miss out on margaritas. the margaritas.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, great, the, right. the margaritas
2: were fantastic. <laughs> we had to hold ourselves back. I enjoyed the fact that we had, what, 15 options for, and I'm not talking about just regular beef fajita, chicken fajita tacos. I'm talking about lamb and vegetarian tacos. And there were so many types and variations of tacos there you were definitely in for something new that you had never experienced before. I think we all collectively agreed how fantastic Nymphus was with their lamb, hummus, and pomegranate. I mean, we were we were all floored on that one. You popped into that taco, that pomegranate burst. It was over. I was done.
1: Yeah, no, that was my <laughs> personal favorite taco of the day. Uh, I know that Lorenzo's won with their uh, crispy prime rib taco, which made sense. It was good. You right. know, Very, those are
3: my top two, mm-hmm. the prime rib, and Alex's, um, the one we just talked about with the pomegranate lamb, it was amazing.
1: You know what I really enjoyed? It was a, a pleasant surprise. Was uh, Ken Bridge, the owner of Ritual and Pink's Pizza, mm. and a whole bunch of other things, is apparently working on a new taco concept called Standard Taco, uh, because he was there representing with a, a J and B taco. Don't call it don't call it a Jack in the Box taco because. Then Ken will get a lawyer. Your Ken will get a letter from their lawyers. But yeah. it's a J and B, a fried hard shell taco with uh, ground beef and cheese and some other stuff. I just I could eat a lot of those. Yeah, I we
0: could.
3: share. In we had to walk of those. And Shannon and I made the mistake <laughs> because we had so many to eat. We were like, well, Shannon said because I really didn't co-sign, I just walked away. <laughs> and she said, oh, she told Ken, oh no no, we'll just go ahead and share this one. And then I didn't realize so we got away which one we were sharing. And I was like, I could have just ate two of those by myself.
2: Did we go back and get another one or no? No, we kept. Walking, that was the second mistake we made.
3: Right. It was. It's so good. It's.
2: But all of them were very good. I mean, all of them knocking out of the park. It was all. It was. It was a great event. The, the DJ was jamming. The drinks were yeah. good. The tacos were creative and inventive and tasty. Great event. Can't wait for it. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. If they bring it back.
1: Oh yeah, no. I I, just from talking to. Jonathan Horowitz, the CEO of Legacy Restaurants that owns Ninfa's, and and talking to Phyllis and her daughter for a minute. Uh, Definitely a lot of enthusiasm about the response they received to the event. And I certainly think we will see Tacos Over Texas come back for year two. (laughs) Woohoo! All right, that does it for our News of the Week. We will be right back with our Restaurants of the Week stick
0: around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating?
1: So for our Restaurants of the Week, I'd like to start out by talking about Postino. Now, we'll have uh, one of the owners and the sommelier from Postino on coming up after this segment, uh, but you will not be here for the interview. So you can, you can speak freely about our experience <laughs> at Postino for their friends and family service, keeping in mind that uh, friends and family service is always <clears throat> a little bit rough around the edges, I, I'll just start by saying that I, I didn't quite know what to expect. You know, I'd, I'd kind of looked at the menu and I and I had some conception, um, but I was really impressed by the design of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks very nice inside and it is kind of flexible. It has some, it, it obviously has a bar. That's what you would expect from uh, uh, it's described as a wine cafe, but it really kind of splits the it splits the difference between a wine bar and a restaurant. It has some bar seating it has like couches and comfy chairs. it has big wide booths for for decent sized groups and i i just i was i was impressed by that aspect of it.
3: I would agree the space is gorgeous it that's one of the things when I walked in I'm like this is a space you want to be in, right? Kind of like what you said. I can come here and have a glass of wine. I can hang out on the patio. We can have a big group. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just they did a very good use of the space. And it's a space that is aesthetically pleasing to um, your eyes. And it has a good feel when you walk in It's like a feel-good space. Mm -hmm. So I would agree.
2: Definitely a place you can go, grab your laptop, hang out a little bit. There's a lot of big, there's a lot of small little, like, corner spots that are really cozy on both sides of the restaurant. So yeah, fan, uh, 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 the cafe, sorry, I'm hitting the microphone. Yeah, I've had a long week weekend.
1: All right, and then your, your first decision, of course, is what to drink. There's a, 30, a, a list of 30 or so wines by the glass. There's a whole bunch of craft beer, both from Texas and from beyond, uh, available on draft or in bottles. And and then and then there's a few non alcoholic options, but but the focus is really on the wine list with a, a really broad diversity of styles. Did you Yes. Did you feel like you had good choices? For wine? Yes.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely good choices and good recommendations.
3: Yes. I went with a recommendation on the wine and I was very pleased. <laughs> Um I'm looking forward to going back and trying the rose, you know everything that I didn't try because I told him I went to go big, bold, hard right out the box. <laughs> so you know it's kind of hard to go back to Rose and all that afterwards. so I'm looking forward to trying some of the lighter ones the next time that I go. but yeah. I thought the wine selection was nice.
1: Right. I mean, I started with a glass of sparkling rose. I moved on to a temperneo for our food that we ate. I enjoyed them both. I would drink both of them again, but but I do like that you know you only get one variety of you only get one wine from each style. That's right. So it, it's you know it's it's either it's either limiting in the sense that like I want to pick I want to pick from more than one Pinot Noir or it's kind of liberating in the sense that it's going to push you into trying things that maybe you wouldn't have encountered right. otherwise. I agree. And the food. All right. So let's talk about the food. Mm-hmm. It is mostly set up to be shared. There were boards. We had, uh, we had a, a butcher's board that had mm-hmm. a whole bunch of cured meat on it. We had a pub board with pretzels and meat and mustard and cheese and stuff. And then we had their bruschetta, which is kind of a uh, it's a signature item for them. They have maybe a dozen varieties. We tried eight of them. And then they have panini, they have soup, and they have salads. Uh, I'm going to say for me, I think the bruschetta was the uh, highlight. That seems to be kind of what the focus is. You can get four different ones for 15 bucks, which struck me as a pretty good deal.
2: It was a fantastic deal, and out of the ones that we tasted, some of them were just phenomenal. I think they have their proprietary tomato jam. That was my favorite. Yeah, the spicy tomato.
1: <laughs> spicy,
3: oh, that was so delicious.
2: They had the one that had dates, with had, the figs. With the, the yeah, with the figs. yeah, and there was yeah. I mean, there were all of them. They had yeah. ones that were just heaping with bacon. They had kind of a um, the salmon with the pesto. Oh yeah, the smoked salmon the and smoked pesto. With the that pesto. was that really was your good favorite. Yeah,
1: yeah. The prosciutto and the uh, the prosciutto and the fig was a favorite of mine. I like the apple and brie. I think yeah, maybe that more was than good. Good.
3: the apple and the brie was good.
2: And they said they've been kind of playing around with that one, trying to get it perfect. So hopefully when it opens, they're sold on what they're going to go. Well, and so the there's like with. eight
1: other Postinos like in Arizona and Colorado. So, you know, they're not just, they're not just tweaking for Houston. They're tweaking for we're a special, whole bunch of locations. But we're really well, special. we are be. really special.
2: <laughs> I will say that, admittedly, I wasn't a big fan of the Paninis. Um, I did like the idea that you can choose between two breads.
1: Yep, focaccia and ciabatta.
2: And um, but I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan, but I can definitely see myself going back there for everything else. And that yeah. soup that we had, it was what, smoked gouda and peppers? Uh, yeah, red, red
1: peppers, pepper and right? gouda. It was yeah, was killing.
2: it was really
3: good. So I'm yes. assuming they're going to do that every day because it was their soup of the day. So it was yeah, really soup good. of the
2: day. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: the one thing I wanted from the paninis was I wanted them to be more like toasty. Right, I wanted them to be a little bit crispier. I wanted the cheese to be a little more melty.
3: I'd agree. That That was was the only. And
1: so I don't know if that was because we literally went on their, their first night of serving food to the public at that location. So I don't know if they just don't toast their panini enough or if that was like opening night jitters.
3: Right, it literally was, that would be the thing for me. I'm like, is it a panini, or is it like a warm sandwich? sandwich. Like, yeah. Because when it came out, I'm like, I didn't really get panini, right? Like, to your point. Right. Right, yeah. so.
2: And something else we noticed, again, take heed that this was friends and family night, but we did get a little tidbit of information from one of the waitresses, our hostess. I'm not sure what role she was playing, but she was saying that they have, we were, we were looking for our, our waiter a couple times during the night, and she kind of shared that they have some type of, shared service. I'm not sure what term she used. Yeah. It's like a team concept. I, I don't
1: remember what term she used, but there is like a, a team concept of kind of managing the tables that, that was the biggest breakdown, right? Was that we, you know, we were given special treatment, right? We were, we were all invited by the restaurant to check it out. Of course it, it made sense to, to go in advance of the interview and so we received some extra attention uh, from Lauren and from Brent and from uh, the GM. And I think that threw our waiter off because mm-hmm. he stopped paying attention to us pretty fast. Right. And yeah. so it, it threw off the, the cycle of ordering because he wasn't coming back. Like we ordered the appetizers and we had all the bruschetta and the, the boards and everything else. And then he didn't come back to check on us for when we wanted to order sandwiches and then we weren't going to get dessert because the kitchen had closed, and so and we didn't know that by the we way. We didn't, and we right. didn't, and we didn't know <laughs> no that the kitchen was going to close, right? So, uh, so that's I, I, don't, I don't suspect that will happen to most people when mm. they go. Right. Um, it was frustrating from our end. As like a dining experience.
2: But that would be something great to share, like when the waiter first seats you or when the hostess first seats you to say, hey, this is the concept that we have. So anyone that's coming over to your table to assist you can assist you. So you can ask them for a wine, a refill, your next course. Because we would have if we would have known that we would have we would have asked anyone instead of saying, hey, can you get my waiter?
3: Right. Because they never said. Oh, I can help you. They were just like, okay, let me go get them. So I don't because it's new. One of the young ladies said it was new to them as well. Yeah. So it is good feedback, right? Like that they need to. Right, let and then folks he know.
1: was trying to manage like a big party out on the patio, right. apparently, and so we were. He was trying to divide his attention. Yeah, it just it was it was a bit of a breakdown, and, and was really the only, like slightly sour note in what overall was a, a pretty good experience. I yeah, I would agree. I'd
2: agree. Great time, definitely a place to check out. And they open when Eric.
1: So they uh so they will be open uh they're opening on Wednesday and this podcast comes out on Thursday. So by the time people are listening to this, Postino is open and they are open uh starting at eleven AM during the week and at nine a.m. I think on the weekends. Yeah, that is um, kind
3: of different, isn't it? That's awesome. You know what? Is it any time <laughs> awesome. anytime is a good time to drink wine. So nine a.m., I'm cool with that.
1: Well, and and I, I do think like as a a proposition for like getting some work done with a laptop or uh, like a business meeting. You know, they have, those, they have those big booths, they have Wi-Fi, they have plugs, uh, and they want people to be able to use the space kind of how it suits them. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can take a table and do some work and just have a cup of of wine and at least according to the owner's, no one's supposed to chase you out or make you feel bad that that's going
3: on. I wonder if I can do interviews. Maybe the wine. I can, probably can't set up and do interviews there, though, huh? You know, it probably Are you Are going to be drinking wine? Right, when the person comes <laughs> in and I'm like, oh, have a seat. Let me get your resume. Can you move my wine over to the left? Yeah, that's... yeah I guess that's probably not a good look, huh? Yeah, probably, probably
2: a little, not a great look. Yeah, okay. Maybe okay. HR may get involved <laughs> on that. All
1: right, and then I just briefly want to talk about the dinner I had Friday night at Fresco... Cafe Italiano. This is, it's not exactly a new restaurant because apparently it opened in September, but I got a, a press release about a promotion that they're running and I'll, I'll link to the the details in the Culture Map article that accompanies this podcast. So it was it was a place that I had sort of driven past and not really processed, but it's it's a new-ish restaurant from the uh, former chef of Enoteca Rosa in Bel Air. They make all of their pasta on site. They make all of their sauces. It's BYOB with no corkage fee. I had a really great uh, linguine with clams in in oil. Uh, and then I went with Nathan Ketchum, who is the, uh, a frequent presence in these parts. He had a uh, popper dell with uh, Italian sausage mm-hmm. that they apparently that make there. And these were pretty generous portions. I mean, my, my linguine with clams had a lot of clams in it uh, for 16 bucks and That's had a little side Caesar for three bucks. We had a little pepperoni pizza that we split for seven bucks. I mean, it's very affordable. It's very casual. Like this is not um, a date night spot unless you're super excited about in terms of its decor and its counter service and all that. But if you want to open a a nice bottle of wine and have Better pasta than you are expecting, given the location. I got to say, I was I was very impressed by uh, Fresco. Well,
3: that's good to hear because we were supposed to be trying to go th- this week, as a matter of fact. And we postponed it because we were like, well, we got other stuff going on. Yeah, busy we meet. don't know how it's going to taste. Hadn't heard too many people talk about it. So yep. now we're a little bit more Excited and enthusiastic about it. And you
2: know, fresh pasta will get me in the door. <laughs> right. I mean, that's like they're just, doing it
3: in-house, the sauces. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe we need to move it up the list a little
2: bit. Eric so. always adds to our list, though. Can we <laughs> Can we start knocking some stuff off the list? Eric, I mean, it is to kind of my,
1: my role in the world. And one of these <laughs> days, we're going to culture, right? We're going to Marcus Davis's restaurant. Yes, we are. We, that's, that's next uh, for us. Yep. Um, ladies, before I let you go, uh, what's new on Urban Swank right now?
3: my gosh so we have like some cool stuff coming up that we will probably i guess this is well this is april right yeah this is april so um just stay tuned for urban swank um stay posted on urban swank we can't really talk about it yeah yet. we
2: can't really talk about it but it's fun and you know it's all about
3: houston we are girls about, houston. about houston so we like to represent our city we will say that and we like to rep it well when it comes yeah. to food drinks and all things houston
1: And, of course, we can follow you on all (laughs) platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Urban Swank, swank urbanswank.com, updated with new content all the time. Ladies, thanks so much for being here.
3: Thank you, guys. Thanks,
2: Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having us.
1: And I will be right back with Lauren Bailey and Brent Karlachek.
0: You're listening to What's Eric Eating?
1: Our interview this week is brought to you by... Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries. I know a lot of the time I like to talk about what's going on at the brewery in Edo, but I also like to talk about their beer because it's good and it's worth drinking. Weissheimer, their Hefeweizen, recently added to the year-round lineup, so you'll find that on store shelves and on tap walls all over the city. Currently, the seasonals are Brewston and IP8. But they will soon give way to Haterade, the uh, very refreshing, slightly tart Goza, and Procrastinator, a new beer that they describe as the official beer of doing nothing. And then they're also launching a, uh, a Houston hip-hop series, starting with a Boss beer that is a collaboration with Slim Thug. And if you happen to be looking for things to do at the brewery, April 20th, Paris Fest, inspired by Paris Whittles, the very famous local comedian and author who died much too soon. And on April 22nd, they're going to have their annual Crawfish and Brews Festival. Tickets for that are on sale now. Thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Lauren Bailey, the co-founder of Postino, and Brent Karlochek, the sommelier for Postino, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you?
4: Awesome. Good morning.
1: Brent, greetings. Thank you for doing this.
0: Excited to be here. Thank you.
1: So, Lauren, let me start with you. Um, why don't you just tell me a little bit about how you came to work in the restaurant business?
4: Well, it started all with a fake resume, actually. Um, my dad stopped paying for my school and my mom said you need to get a job or come home and go to state school and so of course I was at ASU loving life and I was like I'm getting a job so I made a fake resume to go work at PF Chang's which at the time they only had two restaurants and they were on like a two-hour wait so uh they hired me because I think they were desperate was my assumption but um they I get to the end of the shift and the guy that's training me is like you've never worked in a restaurant before have you and I said no and he's like uh, okay. And I said, but I really need this job and I'll do anything you tell me. He hands me this big binder and he's like, you have to memorize everything in this binder by tomorrow and I'm going to ask you questions. If you miss one, I'm going to tell you. And um, I stayed up all night, memorized everything in that binder, came back. He never told anybody that that happened. And that was my foray into the
1: biz. Brent, <laughs> how about you? How, you? how did you become a sommelier?
0: The truth of the matter is that I chased a woman from Boston <laughs> to Santa Barbara I worked at a a restaurant uh, on State Street that had a fantastic um, wine list that represented um, the local bounty from Santa Barbara County, Santa Maria, Santa Maria Hills, Santa uh, Santa Inez, and fell in love. Uh, We had a number of European visitors during the summertime, and you really had to defend the quality of the wines of the region, and uh, a passion was born there. And then, Lauren, let's start talking a little bit about Postino because
1: it's It's not really a wine bar, and it's not really a restaurant. It's kind of a a mix of both of those things. Um, How do you define what Postino is, and and kind of how did you develop the idea for it?
4: So we like to use the word wine cafe because it is, just like you said, um, kind of a mix of both those things, and people use it um, differently on both sides. You know, um, my business partner, Craig, and his wife, Chris, um, when they were – Coming back, they were in Phoenix and they'd been spent some time in Italy and they um, really wanted to do have have a place to go that they'd experienced in Italy that was casual like this. That these wine bars were there and all the places that they could find in Phoenix um, were really fancy and dressy and like very wine snobby and the vision of, for that from them was to have a place like that. You could roll in in flip-flops and jeans and get a nosh and have some really great glass of wine and and head out. Or you could come in and be dressed up for a date night out too, that we could flex around both of those sides. I met them shortly after they opened the first one. Um, So that was kind of the the beginning iteration. And then over time – it kind of evolved into we expanded the menu quite a bit. And um, we realized that people wanted to eat really good food with wine, but we stayed really focused on kind of the shareable aspect of it. We didn't want to do um, like tapas. Everybody was kind of doing that. We didn't want to do heavy entrees because that would change how you would experience the restaurant. You wouldn't feel comfortable coming in and sitting on our table and not ordering dinner. So we knew if we kept the, the menu the way it feels with these shareable entrees and um, kind of more casual food that you could use at like that. And our servers won't flinch if you come in and only order a glass of wine or you do want to come in and have a meal. And we really liked the flexibility of that because um, we knew that we would be able to be a place for people to come for a lot of different reasons, not just to eat or not just to drink.
1: And then, Brent, when did you when did you come on board and and kind of help bring some and how did you kind of develop the wine list for this? Because it's it really does have a by the glass focus that's
0: a lot broader than, I'd say, certainly a a typical restaurant has. I appreciate you saying that. That's very kind. Um, ICOM came on about 10 years ago, and the list had been created in format, but I think one of the things that I might have brought to the table was uh, a broader global perspective um, and certainly a a true passion for the subject. Uh, A big part of that By the Glass program has become our collaboration with our favorite winemakers. So another evolution that has occurred is um, our direct blending and creation of wines with producers like Banshee, Lioco, Dr. Lawson, uh, Casa Silva, uh, Three Wine Company. That's really been a great evolution of that program, uh, which does change three times a year.
1: Yeah, and I noticed when I was there on Saturday that you don't, at least on the by the glass list, there's not like, you know, three Pinot Noirs and, and three cabs, it's like, you know, there's one Pinot Noir, there's one cab, there's one, uh, you know, there. it, it just, it, it seems to cover a lot of different um, varietals. And so how did you, I mean, is that, Is that sort of difficult for people? I mean, how do you... Is there a lot of selling that kind of goes on or explaining that goes on?
0: That's a a great intro. Thank you so much. Um, You're right. We're trying to hit a lot of notes, right? In the sparkling program, in the white, in the rosé, in the red, we want to make sure that there's something that really fits every category and that we think represents exceptional quality for that varietal uh, style or place. Um, You're right. That takes a lot of engagement from our staff. We take that really seriously. Uh, Every time we roll out one of these new programs, we bring our suppliers and our vendors, winemakers, importers in, and everyone has a chance to taste through each one of those wines by the glass. They get about five minutes of information on each wine, and they go through a series of tests over the next week to ensure that that information has been retained. And then we really love engaging with that material every day at pre-shift, a.m. and p.m., and driving a culture that's really about learning and development and connection. We feel like uh, you know our wine and beer programs are, uh, are key to our ability to, well, bring happiness to our guests.
1: <laughs> well yeah, no, cuz I know you know, I still feel like I have a lot to learn about wine. And so I I know personally I like to be able to just go in and go I want you know, a lightly tannic, somewhat acidic red wine and I and I want to be able to get a couple of suggestions, you know, I don't want to be kind of left on my own to just know like, oh, well that means that I want a certain style cuz I don't <laughs> I don't always know that, right? Like I don't always know how style correlates to flavor.
4: One of the things we realized early on was that um, we were getting all these um, team members who were coming from really reputable restaurants, but they didn't have a baseline knowledge of how wine was made or like what you mentioned, the different profiles of it. So Brent built this wine basics course that we do. We actually bring in like plates of fresh grass and um, wet stones and so that you can compare the essences of these profiles to the different things and he'll have like glasses of milk lemonade and
0: what's the third one <laughs> and tea right well to use show the different Tana.
4: viscosities of wine and um you know w- what we found was that that baseline foundation was then we were able to build on it and we do this education three times a year with the different lists and um and then brent has two team members on his team that their whole focus is on uh, wine education for our team members and ongoing
1: all right so lauren you came on shortly after the first location opened you've opened how many more since then
4: We have uh, 13 uh, restaurants now. We have eight Postino. So we have um, the five brands in our portfolio. So Craig and I met. That's actually kind of a funny story. So I was going to open my own restaurant. And after I worked at P.F. Chang's and that was where Brent and I met at our next restaurant that was more fine dining and um, made my way to Nantucket and realized I was bartending one night and I'm like, this is like, I love this business. I could do this. Like, look at these guys. I figured it out. And so I saved $30,000 and came back to Phoenix, which was when I met Craig, and he was selling these crappy tables that he had bought when he first opened them, and they were kind of breaking down. And I'm like, hey, I want to buy those tables. And he's like, why? I'm like, because I want my own restaurant. And he was like, hang on a second. And we knew that we had a really great synergy, and we shared a lot of core values of how we wanted to run the business with putting employees first and vendors second and guests third. Um and so we talked about doing this. I sat down and met with them. I had a bunch of ideas for different restaurant concepts, and we ended up partnering up to open the second one together. And, um, you know, I feel like it's, it's been really fun because we've ha- assembled this amazing group of people. And even coming out here to Houston, we were all here. We call ourselves the OG crew. It's me, Brent, Tori, and Eric. And um, kind of just still with the same essence of what we were doing 13 restaurants ago, really. And um, it's been a really special experience.
1: Yeah, so you're kind of all over Arizona at this point. There's a Postino in Denver. Yep. How did you decide to make Houston the next market?
4: Okay, I want to tell you the story. Like, we had this amazing <laughs> strategy. Like, we did all this research, and but it it didn't really go like that. <laughs> 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 we came out here, and we were actually looking at Houston, Dallas, and Austin, the three cities, and we're like, we'll just go out there, and we'll hang out, and we'll see what we see. And we came here, and we loved it. I like get goosebumps like, thinking about it because it was so um, – Obvious to us that there were these really unique neighborhoods that all had kind of a different feel to them, and they had a, a really um, interesting uniqueness about each one of them, and we loved that first of all. And then we were we'd heard that the culinary scene here was really strong, but I think I certainly it, it exceeded my expectations of not only what people were excited about with food and wine, but also what the what was already going on here, um, what they were willing to order. Were they willing to order those varietals that you mentioned and take that risk? And um, we loved that. And and then more. Than anything, it was um like the people here are amazing. I never every time I come here, I stay longer. We've been here almost a week, and it's like it's e- addictive.
0: Every time I'm here, I fall more and more in love with Houston. Yeah. There's a sense of authenticity that is off the charts, and um my wife is not gonna like hearing about it when I come back. But um. <laughs> this is
4: true story. Brent came out here, and he goes, he goes. The first time you came out here, <laughs> he, we're out to dinner, and he's had a few glasses of wine, and he's like. I think I want to move here. And I was like, <laughs> easy, chief. <laughs> it's an
0: amazing place.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is one of the things that people from other cities talk about is that Houstonians are really nice. And, and if you've not, maybe not from Arizona necessarily, but if you've moved here from like New York or L.A., people don't trust it right away. Yeah. Because they're always kind of waiting for the other, the other shoe to drop. But it's, <laughs> it's no, this is, in, I mean a modern progressive city in a lot of ways, but it, it does still have a little bit of that the, kind of the, small southern town thing.
4: Totally. And the arts and culture scene. I mean, it's just been super cool. And then the I guess the specific site that we picked, we loved this area and we drove by the Heights Mercantile and it, and we said to our broker, like, we love this. This is great. This is the neighborhood. And he's like, oh, that thing's been leased up for a while. And then two weeks later, we got a call from him and said the people that we're in your space the deal fell through and if you guys want to d- do this you've got to fly out there tomorrow so we jumped on a plane ran out there really fast and we I think we said yes before we even looked at any of the details of the lease we're like we're in let's do this and Steve who developed the property is an amazing guy
1: so you liked the people and you came to Houston like where did you kind of eat where did you go to kind of get a sense of the city when you when you visited
4: well we started off in the Heights neighborhood and the first restaurant we ever went to in that area was Cultivarite and I love it it was I'm like, I think about it regularly, a few items on the menu (laughs) and their wine list is really good. And the space is really neat. It was summer and their gardens were overflowing and it was crazy busy. And um, that was my first stop.
1: Brent, how about you? What I mean, have you hit any of the wine bars around town? Have you I I know we we talked uh, when I was at Postino Saturday night about you're, you're collecting a list of restaurants. I'm sort of wondering, like, how you. How much of the city you've had a chance to experience?
0: I look forward to experiencing so much more, <laughs> but we have had really wonderful experiences at at cultivare and uh, Nancy's hustle was oh, yeah, uh, that was fantastic. Amazing. Um, had a really wonderful bowl of ramen at uh, Ninja ramen the other day very nice and uh, I've got to tell you, I had a, a fantastic experience, great hospitality in pizza at pie the other day, just down the street. It was a wonderful yeah, one time. of your uh, neighbors, yeah,
1: really mm hmm
4: we ate at Uchi two nights ago. We crushed like a, a, an a enormous amount of food there and sake. <laughs> a, l- a little bit of sake. Just <laughs> really a little good. bit of sake.
1: <laughs> Are you, I, I don't know, do you follow like some of the other Arizona-based concepts that have come out here? I mean, Steak 48's done very well here. Uh, Roka Core yeah. opened last year. I mean, did that influence your thinking at all? I mean, did that, did that help kind of guide you?
4: I mean, certainly, I think we're we're really good friends with the Fox guys, too. I think um, I'm a huge fan of stake 48, 44, we call it in Arizona, but it's 48 here. I actually drive my golf cart over there a lot. But um, I think so. I mean, it just gives you a little more confidence to know um, that you'll be welcomed with open arms. And we've certainly felt that. And to see the success that those guys have had has been really inspiring.
1: Yeah, I I shouldn't uh, underestimate Fox. I mean, so apparently our north is the busiest north.
4: I think... That's also the, the forty eight is like the busiest restaurant in Texas or something right now.
1: Yeah, it's it's bonkers how how crazy that.
4: Place I, is. I just found out yesterday that Houstonians eat out more than any other city in the country. Did Amazing. You,
1: yeah, I don't. You know, I've heard that too. I'm not sure how they measure that.
4: Oh, well, there's all kinds of creeper data going on behind the
1: scenes. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, if it if it means more interesting people are opening cool restaurants in Houston, then I'm. Then creep away, I guess. Yeah,
0: (laughs) probably good. (laughs) Uh, Okay.
1: Um, And then, is the Houston location of Postino kind of different from its siblings, or is it is it pretty similar?
4: They're all a little different. Um, We always do a different art installation in all of them, and this one in particular has um, skateboards that were donated from customers, and we cut them into tiles. Um, the spaces, we love old buildings and that's, if we can check that box um, for our locations that have a little history, a little soul, we believe that, um, you know, we're satisfying that kind of woo-woo-ness of the history of it and kind of telling it the next iteration of the story and actually, it was the Papa's um, distribution center, that whole property and our building in specific, I think, was where they stored the liquor, which we're pretty
0: happy about. <laughs> I'm certainly happy about that.
1: <laughs> and then, Brent, uh, I know the I noticed the the beer list uh leans pretty heavily on local craft options how how was that for you i mean you had to kind of start from zero i guess with
0: how Houston. was that
1: yeah, I mean, that was amazing. Like,
0: that's like the greatest thing ever, right? I have to explore a bunch of local craft beer. It's like my dream come true. He has yeah. a really
4: hard job. He has a lot of alcohol every day.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we did a, a good job of representing some of the incredible local craft breweries and then also having some of those, you know, international standards. Like, you can't not have Sam Smith, Tadcaster, Porter because it's just an epic beer, right? So, the, the good mix of local craft in that. Um, yeah, I look forward to having beer at Postino uh, Heights very soon. <laughs> people walk
4: by his office and there's like 900 bottles of wine in there and like beer and all the co- coffee. Lauren, and eight, they're like 800. Yeah, 800 sorry, bottles. sorry. And they're like, Who, who's, whose office is that? I want that job. I'm like, get in line, people. He's got the best job ever.
1: So I think the other thing about Postino is that it's, it's meant to be sort of flexible. I, I had a friend uh, tell me recently that she went to college in Arizona or she went to law school in Arizona and that she, the only reason she graduated was that she could study at Mostino.
4: <laughs> yes. We love that.
1: So how, I mean, so I think that's one of the other things that kind of separates it. Um, could you just talk a little bit about the various ways that people kind of use it? Because I, as I noticed uh, Saturday, there's like all different kinds of seating areas. And that, that kind of hints to people that, you know, you don't just have to come in and have a full meal or, or just sit at the bar and have a glass of wine. There are, there are options.
4: Well, first of all, we don't like rules, so we try to avoid any scenario where we have to have a lot of rules or tell people what to do. That's how it started. Um, and then, you know, this culture and all that, Brent, talk a little bit more about this, but we always wanted to create value and, and, and create a situation where you could take a risk with a varietal that you, that you would probably not order. So um, in the beginning, there was always the $5 wine by the glass. Uh, every single one of our wines by the glass is $5, and every uh, pitcher of beer is $5 seven days a week from 11 to 5. And um, we also felt like that would support, again, our quest to create space for people to come and work on their laptop and have a glass of wine and um, or meet a friend or have lunch, a business meeting, all these different ways. Um, and so I think that we've stayed really focused on that, not only with the programming of the menus and um, the wine list, but also with how we train our staff. Um, <coughs> To be really welcoming to those. We're not going to give you the the stink eye when you're sitting on your laptop for two hours at the at the bar. We're probably going to ask you what you're working on and you know, do you need a glass of wine?
1: Yeah, I did see that there were plugs. That's always that's always a good indication that it's sort of welcoming.
0: Laptops welcome. Yes. Yes.
1: Maybe not Saturday night at eight o'clock, but Yeah. Maybe not then, but Tuesday at Tuesday at two PM, roll through. (laughs) Laptop hobos.
0: I think that's the beautiful thing about the afternoon window at Postino, right? You can have an outstanding lunch, but it's such an incredible place to not only meet with friends, but to make a business connection, to get some studying done when you're in law school, um, to find that place where you can just decompress and feel completely at ease. Um, Whether it's the menu, the space or the hospitality, we, we really want to create a place for you to just feel good.
1: Well, and just selfishly as a writer, you know, sometimes it's nice to get out of the office and, and take the laptop somewhere, but I don't always want coffee. Yes. You know, there's like a certain point in the day at which, you know, one more one more cup of coffee or, or one more espresso beverage is, is probably bad. <laughs> Agreed. And so so the idea that I could I could pack up and roll over to Postino and have a glass of wine or a beer and at least allegedly be working, is uh, certainly appealing to me personally.
0: <laughs> We'd like to create that opportunity for you.
1: <laughs> um, Lauren, as you said, uh, Postino is part of Upward Projects, uh, your restaurant group, and you have several other concepts. Do you see Houston as a potential home for any of that?
4: I mean, we nothing's off the table. I think that we are continuing to learn about these neighborhoods and seeing all the cool old buildings that you guys have. We love that. Um, we lovingly say that we have shiny object syndrome. It's a problem. Like, we have no shortage of ideas. Um, <laughs> we're like, oh, look at that. Let's come up with a new concept. Um, but for now, we're pretty focused on on Postino side and kind of bringing that because of the uniqueness that you said to, to um, the communities here. So I don't know.
1: So you, do you think there might be another Postino before there's, like, a taco your taco concept or the ice cream place or? i
4: think potentially yeah
1: have you i mean you you were just at, you said you were at nancy's hustle is uh ito's got a lot of old buildings i mean
4: it's so cool
1: mm.
4: yeah we met this guy matt Donah- donahue who does a lot of development over there and he's working on a bunch of clusters of restaurants i can't remember the name of the bar he took me to but um do you know that development there's the the truck stops it, opening over the- yeah village?
1: oh you were at east village
4: yeah right. is that considered different than Edo?
2: No, I mean, they're all
1: kind of connected.
4: Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, I love what they're doing over there. I think it's really neat. Um, and uh, we're just kind of in this exploratory mode. So we're finding any and all excuses to come out here as often as we can. Truth be told.
0: If you'd like to provide another, we'd yes. entertain that. Yeah. Send away. If anyone out there has
4: <laughs> any ideas or real estate, uh, you can email me.
1: <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I do know that there are real estate developers who listen to the show. So you will, you will hear from people. Please do. Um, and then let me just uh, let me just come back to Postino one more time. You, you've had two days of, of kind of friends and family uh, in between when we record this podcast and when this podcast is released to the Internet. Uh, you're going to kick the doors open. Do you, do you feel ready?
4: This is the most ready we've ever been. This is the smoothest opening we've ever had. I don't know if it's just like the powers that be of Houston lifting us up, or we had somewhat of a plan this time. Our team's locked and loaded. I mean, I think or our
0: director of development, Tori Demars, is just firing <laughs> on true. all cylinders. Yeah.
4: Normally, we're um, like when you would have come in Saturday night, you'd I'd pr- there'd be like wet paint on the wall somewhere, or we'd be running errands and um, wearing the same clothes for like multiple days. But we actually. We, we were on time and on budget this time around. Took 13 tries.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that is one of the things that I was so impressed by, because when I spoke to you in October about this, you said April, and it's April, and you're open.
4: Yeah, we, well, mm, there's you know, no, I, I want to yeah. Yeah, <laughs> pat ourselves on the back really hard, but it did take us 13 tries in, like, more than a
1: decade to get here, so... <laughs> Well, you know, practice makes perfect. Yeah.
0: We're we're getting there. Slow and and steady. Well, I mean, that brings me to
1: the end of my questions, unless you have... Can we ask you some questions? Sure. No one's ever done that before.
4: (laughs) Okay. If you have your last meal in Houston, what is it and where is it going to be?
1: So if it's my last meal in Houston ever, I'm going to go... Super classic, and I'm going to go have fajitas at Ninfa's on Navigation. Ooh, I haven't been there yet. Oh, my god. It is kind of the iconic Tex-Mex restaurant. I mean, there's a lot of great Tex-Mex in the city. I don't mean to dismiss any of the others, but Ninfa's was the first. Okay,
4: we'll have to put that on the list. Mm. Next question is, what's the first drink you order at a dive bar?
1: At a dive bar, probably a beer and a shot of something like Jameson. Ooh. Or Jack
4: and what beer?
1: Uh, whatever's cold, usually a Lone Star. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very cool. I, at a dive bar, I'm not messing around. I've Jack and Coke, maybe, or you know, I'm not nothing that requires shaking or stirring.
4: Interesting. Not okay. Not messing around. And what's your go-to wine varietal?
1: So I'm coming around, and I think it's Pinot Noir, oh. um, except when it's sparkling, <laughs> like. Like always sparkling to start and then maybe, you know, with a meal, probably Pinot Noir.
4: Okay.
0: Versatile. I like this. (laughs) Versatile. All right. Well, I
1: like to, uh, I like to wrap these interviews up with something I call the lightning round. Yes. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Brent, let me start with you. What's your favorite ingredient?
0: Oh, favorite ingredient.
4: He's also a chef. He's the international wow. man of mystery.
0: Oof. You know, um, I've got a harissa problem right now. Nice. No.
1: Lauren, how about, how about you?
4: I think these little Paquito peppers that are from Italy, they're tiny and they're really spicy. And I put them in oil and I cook with them probably more than I should.
1: Um, Lauren, who's your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present?
4: Oh, busted. This is a thing known around the company. Like, I'm not a sports person. All right. I can't even name one. I know I'm a loser.
1: Brent, have you have you dived into our sports scene at all? Have you You
0: know, could, could I say that um, I'm really appreciative of uh, the writing talents of a certain um, uh, Dale at the uh, Houston Chronicle, who was also passionate about wine. Can I say that I, I like a sports writer? The sure. Best? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, he works for the competition, but
0: that's, oh, that's whoops, fine. Whoops, okay. But he's that's, a really nice guy. I like how you he, party he filed more nice than that one uh, than I did. <laughs> uh,
1: Brent, what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh,
0: no. Oh, this was a triple threat. It was uh, Stone Temple Pilots, the Butthole Surfers, and the Flaming Lips at the Polish-American Beach Club in Western Massachusetts. Epic show. How old were you? Uh, 16, I think. Maybe 15.
1: Lauren, how about you?
4: I'm embarrassed. You like taking my street cred down big time here. My mom took me to Richard Marks in Fort Wayne, Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) Oceans apart, day after day. Yeah, Uh,
1: Lauren, what is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a drive? It has to come from a drive thru
4: In and Out Burger, all the way, baby. Do you guys have that here?
0: We don't, not yet.
4: It's amazing.
0: Oh, double double, animal style, my yeah, god! Yeah, animal
4: style, all the oh. way.
1: You're gonna get, you're gonna have a lot of ticked off Whataburger
0: fans. Uh oh. We do like good too. That's good we, too. We
4: have only like two in Arizona, and they're not anywhere where I it's go. It's not really. the following
0: that is yeah. here. We'll,
1: yeah. We'll 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 work on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brent, how about you?
0: I would have to say that I'm I'm pretty in and out focused. It's all like right. it's like a once a month trip but when I do I'm I'm all in.
1: All right. Yeah. And then finally um and this doesn't have to be in Houston obviously. Uh where's your favorite place to get a taco?
0: Well, I'd be remiss not to mention Joyride Taco House yeah. on uh Central Avenue in Phoenix or uh Gilbert Road in Gilbert, but um
1: an, an upward projects concept I should explain. <laughs> <laughs> True.
0: Mm. You know, there's a place um, just off the freeway in Santa Barbara called uh, La Superica. So uh, good. Taqueria, and oh, they're just pressing tortillas to order all afternoon, and everything's just coming right off the grill. I I dream about that. It's, uh, yeah, beautiful. La Superica.
4: I'm going to say the taco truck outside of Charlie's, which is a bar down the street from us. Good call. They're a dollar and they're amazing, and I can eat like 15 of them.
1: Brent Karlochek and Lauren Bailey from Postino, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Eric. And thanks, Houston. You guys rock. And uh, it's postino.com or postinowinecafe.com or
0: postinowinecafe.com.
1: Postinowinecafe.com for all the news about Postino. My thanks to Shannon Jones and Felice Sloan from Urban Swank for joining me for the first half of the show. And of course, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler and on Twitter at Esandler. Stay tuned to uh, keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston par and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.